Would you bow with me in prayer? God, tonight we simply ask that you would work through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit to change our hearts. We pray that you would soften our hearts to receive your truth, to be changed by it. Work, O oh God, through your word, by the power of your spirit, to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh God, that oneness would be the mark of our church, that we would walk together in humility and in love. We pray, Father, that you would bring the teens safely home tonight from their winter retreat. I pray that what they learn from Don Jackson would not just remain in their hearts or in their minds, but but be lived out through their lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Cancer. There's probably not one person in this room who has not been affected by cancer in some way. There's probably not one person in this room who doesn't have a loved one or someone close who has suffered cancer. Maybe there are those in this room here who have gone through the suffering of cancer themselves. Someone close to you, a relative, a friend, has gone through this horrible process of having free radical cells take over their body. Maybe you know someone very close to you who died from cancer. Or maybe you know someone right now who's going through the horrors of cancer. Maybe some of you have come out on the other end of this devastating disease, but the word cancer still kind of strikes fear into your heart and your mind. Because every day you hear about somebody else who has cancer. They have cancer. And there's thousands, you know, dozens of kinds of cancer out there. And so it's a scary word. It's a scary concept. Cancer, as uh, the medical research group from the United Kingdom calls it, they define it as cancer cells are free, independent radicals that want to break away from other normal cells and go unregulated. Another definition is cancer cells are cells that grow and divide it at unregulated, quickened pace. Normal cells in your body don't act that way. Normal cells in your body, this is also by the Cancer Research Group from the UK, it says that normal body cells have a number of important characteristics. They can reproduce themselves exactly. They stop reproducing at the right time. They know their function in the body. Normal body cells stick together in the right place. And normal body cells become specialized or mature. They're serving a specific purpose in the human body. That's how normal cells in your body are supposed to work. But cancer cells do something totally different. I want to do this two-part series on cancerous Christianity, not as a shot in the arm for North Park Baptist Church, because it's more like a vitamin dose. Our church, as I as I mentioned this morning, has a reputation for loving one another, for loving the community, for walking in unity. And like I said this morning, when I meet people around the community and I mention I'm a pastor at North Park Baptist Church, so far I've heard, oh, those people really love one another. They, if they've been here, if they were a child in our Awana program and now they're grown, maybe they're, you're religious now, but they remember being loved here. So, it's not a shot in the arm. It's not, uh, it's not chemotherapy for North Park Baptist Church tonight. 
But it is important because there are, there are always opportunities for us to want things our own way. And cancer, just like it does in the human body, wreaks havoc on the church. Cancer cells, this is what cancer cells do. Here's a list for you. Cancer, Christian cancer cells, I think we have a list here. Cancer cells do something totally different than normal cells. They don't stop reproducing. They, they don't know how to control together, work together, so they just kind of spread all over the place. Cancer cells don't obey signals from other cells, so they don't listen. They just do what they want. Cancer cells don't stick together. They don't work together. And cancer cells don't specialize. They stay immature. They don't serve a specific purpose. They just kind of go off and create destruction on the human body. Cancer cells create destruction in the human body and complaining can create destruction in the church. It does. I've seen churches crumble to the ground because a kind of cancerous attitude spreads through the church and it brings and breeds destruction. Here's the problem. We want our own way, right? And so we open up the Bible and, and, we, and we gather with other believers. We, we, we start following Jesus. We gather with other Christians and uh, we start worshiping with them and serving with them. And inevitably, before we know it, things don't go our way. And so we say, well... Why should somebody else tell me how to, uh, what I should like or dislike? How should somebody else tell me what I should want or not want? Because I know what I want. Our popular culture popularizes this idea. Burger King, even if it's just Burger King, used to say, have it your way. That's dated. Sorry for those under, I don't think they say that anymore. Sorry. They did when I was 15. It's Frank Sinatra. You saying, I did it my way. And people said, yes, it sounds so right, doesn't it? It feels so right to say, I, want, I know my way and I want to do my own thing and I know what I like and I know what I want and don't tell me anything otherwise. But we start following Jesus and gathering with other people and suddenly things don't go the way we want. We have to sit next to people we don't even know, God forbid. I was a youth pastor. I can, yeah. It's like that with us adults, too. We can laugh about it, can't we? We, we, we? The music is dated. The carpet color is, is atrocious, although it's not here, right? The music style isn't to our own liking, our own taste, our own preference. The preacher goes way too long. And we start because we want our own way, Right? And we think we ought to tell somebody else about it. So when things don't go our way, we quickly say, well, things are going to change. And if they don't change, I'm going to start complaining about it. And if they don't change, then I'm just going to leave. And so we treat the church kind of like a restaurant where the leaders that got appointed are treated like one-star diner waiters. And when they don't give us what we want, when we want it, when we think we paid for it, then we're going to just leave. I've seen people act that way. Because we want our own way. And so the church ends up dividing these independent, radical selves. They never mature. 
The problem is the church is not a restaurant. It's a family. And so if we decide to just go with what we want and stick with that and complain and whine and grumble, we divide the church and it reaps destruction. The believers in Philippi had this this problem. They were grumbling. They were not one. They had problems with unity. They had problems with complaining, with arguing, with disputing. And Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian believers, and he's in their house arrest, and things aren't necessarily going the way that he probably would want in and of his flesh, right? He's not in the cold, dark, dank prison cell that he'd find himself in later, but it's still under house arrest. He's not able to go freely about. And, and, his, and his friends are starting to slowly desert him. And he writes to the Philippian believers about how God's purpose and how the good pleasure and good purpose of God is supposed to be lived out. And he talks about this idea of grumbling, complaining, wanting things your own way. So turn with me to Philippian, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. This first part is going to be this first part of cancerous Christianity. Tonight will just be in Philippians 2, 14 through 18. Next Sunday night will be in 1 Corinthians 1. First, uh, Philippians 14 here. We want our own way. And so he says in verse 13, he'll get a little bit of the context. Verse 13, it says, For it is God who is at, is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The good purpose, the good pleasure of God is God's work in you. And he is the one to will and to work for his good pleasure in you. So, the, the, the way that lives out in the Christian lifestyle, in the church, when you gather with other Jesus followers and things don't go your way, this is how you show the good purpose and the good pleasure of God working in you. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It could be translated, do all things without complaining and arguing. The way that the original text is structured there puts the all first, foremost, emphasis on everything. Everything that you do, no matter what it is, no matter whether you're at church or whether you're on the phone at home or whether you're on Facebook or on Twitter or on Snapchat or Instagram or whether you're just at the restaurant talking with friends or whether you work or whether you're on recreation, no no matter what you do, no matter what you're involved in, everything you do is supposed to be without grumbling or disputing. And it's also in the present tense, which means all the time, continually. Really, everything you do, all of it continually is supposed to be without grumbling or disputing. Everything. And so you have a list there. You have your list on your sheet, and it talks about what complaining or what grumbling or what disputing does, how it's cancerous, what it does. Uh, The Apostle Paul could have been hinting back at what he wrote to the Corinthian believers. In 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about how they were... He had to address this issue that they were bringing each other into court, and so their witness to the world was being marred or being... um, in a sense, fogged, uh, impeded because they were, they were having these big arguments between each other. They couldn't get along. One of my teachers said, complaining is like a rocking chair. 
It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Is that just convicting to me as it is to I don't know. We all can complain sometimes, don't we? Complaining is cancerous because it says, I don't like that. As simple as that. I don't like that, so I'm going to complain about it. I'm going to say why I don't like that. Gossip is cancerous because it says, I, don't want to, I, I want to feel better or more important than someone else, so I'm going to talk about them behind their back because that makes me feel better about myself and better than them somehow, more important. Self-centeredness is cancerous because it says, I'm more important, period. Arguments are cancerous because it says, I'm the one who's got it right and you're wrong. And we're just going to argue and I'm never going to change my mind. Nope, 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 nope. Pride is cancerous because it says, I don't need you. I can do it all on my own. See, I can, I can be, I don't have to stick together. I don't have to work with you. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm a free radical. I can be independent. I don't have to be regulated by someone else. I don't have to submit to your leadership. I can just do what I want. And dishonesty is cancerous because it says, I can't show the real me. Selfishness is cancerous because it says, I'm all that matters. And stubbornness is cancerous because it says, I don't want to change. I don't want to grow or mature. Don't stretch me. And oftentimes when people are stubborn or when people complain or when people gossip or where they're self-centered and they're arguing, they don't serve a, a purpose in the church other than kind of their hobby horse of what they complain about. And it wreaks destruction in the church. I heard about a church that had a need to buy a vacuum and they couldn't decide on whether they should get a, a push vacuum, stand-up vacuum, or one of the, uh, what do we call it, um, a vacuum, the canister vacuum. So they went back and forth. They formed a committee, a vacuum committee, about whether they're going to get a canister vacuum or a stand-up vacuum. Darius, you would go crazy, wouldn't you? Just give me a vacuum, right? No, we got to decide if it's going to be canister or stand-up. And they formed this committee, and the church ended up splitting over the type of vacuum they could get. That all went to back to the, they bought new carpeting, and when they bought the new carpeting, and they could not agree about that, and then when they got the new carpeting, they realized they needed a new vacuum, and on and on and on. Silly, trivial things that can destroy the body of Christ, a local church. And so the solution to wanting our own way is not necessarily just trying to get our own way. That's not the solution that Paul says. Look down in verse 17 and verse 18. He says, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, he's talking about where he is right now in life. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul is being totally emptied and he's still rejoicing. And the reason why he can rejoice is because he knows that God is in control. You see, when we say, I'm not getting what I like, I'm not getting what I want, we're really saying to God, I don't trust you to give me what I need. Complaining shows where our true trust lies, where it resides in ourselves rather than God. That's the heart of the issue. The Apostle Paul can be at peace and have joy when he's under house arrest, 
because he knows that God is in control of all things. And when things don't go our way, when things don't go my way, tell me, hey, God's in control. Rejoice, Pastor Michael. Rejoice, Caleb. Rejoice, Stephanie. We can, we can have joy. And this is where he goes. Share your joy with me. It's together. Together. We share joy together when we realize that no matter whether we're under persecution or whether the music is kind of too loud or too quiet or too soft or too fast or too slow or whether I preach too long or whether we just don't like this program or we like that other program, we think that program should replace with this other program, we say, wait a minute, God's in control here and we can rejoice in the gospel because that's what really matters. So even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, he's hinting he knows his death is impending. It's, things are getting worse. Persecution is rising. More and more people are turning away from him. And he's under house arrest. He doesn't know how exactly it's going to work out, though he's trusting that it will work out if you look back in chapter 1. But he knows things are rough. But I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And then rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. That's how we work through this issue of wanting, our thing, wanting things our own way. Now here's the application. Here's how it connects to your life and to mine. Verse 15, going back to verse 15 and 16 now. Do everything all the time without grumbling or disputing so that... You will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. The reason Paul wants them The reason the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these words to the Philippian believers is so that they would not grumble, not complain, not argue, not divide, not dispute, but so that when they walk in unity, when they walk in in humility with one another, they would prove themselves, show purity, show innocence, show their love for one another as children of God, show who they are. They're children of light, not children of darkness. Something has changed radically in you. You've entered into new life, so show who you are. You're children of God, and when you don't grumble and argue, when you don't complain or dispute, you are proving that you are children. You're showing that you're children of God, not children of darkness. That's huge. And then he goes on, because you're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, it's dark out there. It's dark out there. It's a wilderness. It is far more common to find somebody who rejects God, who doesn't love God, who won't follow God, than one who loves and follows God. And the way that we show that we are children of God and the way that we witness to the world is by showing that we're children of God. And we do it by throwing out complaining and arguing and replacing it with rejoicing because when somebody sees us rejoicing when things don't go our way, they'll be like, what is going on with you? Ever had that happen at work? Ever had that happen where something doesn't go your way or your, your group, maybe you're an IT manager and things don't go the way you planned and you say, well, we'll work it out. And you smile. 
and you're not the boss who starts screaming at everybody, what's wrong with you? Get your act together. You know, I've never had a boss quite that bad, but some of you maybe have. No, you, you rejoice and you rejoice. In all things you know, God's in control. And instead of complaining and arguing, you replace it with rejoicing and, and you show who you are in Jesus Christ. You show people that you're a child of God. When they hear about North Park Baptist Church or when they hear about other Bible-believing, loving, gospel-centered churches in this community, they should say, people should say in the darkness, wait a minute, those people rejoice and they love one another. I never hear of complaining coming from that place. It's amazing. You ought to go and check it out. The picture is that it's dark out there and we are to be, this is how the NASB translates it, among whom you appear as lights in the world. A way to capture that phrase is like stars in the midnight sky. It's been a while since we've had a clear night around here. But occasionally, in the winter in Michigan, we'll get a clear night, and you can see the stars out in that deep, inky black sky. That's how we, when we don't complain and when we don't grumble, that's how we appear in the darkness, in the wilderness. People say there's something different about these people. They must be children of God. There's something They have a different kind of life. They have a different way of looking at life. They have a different way of thinking and talking. But he goes on, and and Paul, I I wonder sometimes if he really liked athletics, because he kind of brings that in occasionally. Boxing is not beating the empty air, running, and so on and so forth. Here he says, holding fast the word of life. That's how this translation holds it, but actually a better way to to phrase it is holding forth. It could be holding firm, but the idea is holding forth. It fits better because your stars in the midnight sky shining as lights in the world. And when you don't complain and when you don't grumble, when you show who you are, that you're children of God, you are actually, when you do that, you are showing the good purpose and pleasure of God and you're holding forth the light. You're holding forth the light. It's shining brightly in the darkness. So holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, he's talking about the rapture there, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Paul is built into their lives. He has discipled them in the gospel. He is now writing to them saying, I don't want you to grumble at, uh, at anything, but instead, with everything, rejoice because God's in control. And when you do that, I, I'm going to rejoice. I, I, I know that what God has given me to do has been accomplished this mission that, I, that God gave me to work with you, to disciple you, whew, that's going to fill me with joy. And it wasn't in vain. It wasn't just a waste of time to deal and work with you because you're being lights in the darkness. You're shining like stars in the midnight sky. You're holding forth the word of life. You're running with the light out there. And people see it. So what about you? Show who you are in Jesus Christ by throwing out complaining and arguing and replacing it with rejoicing. There's a question I have for you, and I want us to think about this. So what? So what? And like I said, this is kind of vitamins for us. But we need a good vitamin dose regularly, don't we? And the Word of God does that. 
How have I allowed, and I'm asking myself this question, how have I allowed cancerous actions or attitudes to enter my life and the life of the church? Have you? On occasion, maybe once in a while, I remember when I was a teenager, 16, 17 years old, I was leading worship at this church. The pastor liked my voice and he said, I want you to start leading songs. So I started leading songs on Wednesday and then Sunday and stuff. And I had this attitude about music. I was ultra conservative about music. Probably more conservative than anybody in this room. I was weird. I was a teenager, ultra conservative about music. Different, anyways. And I I had this meeting with the senior pastor and the worship pastor who were working with me, who were discipling me, giving me tons of chances to develop my skills and to to learn what it means to, to lead people and to lead in worship. And I had this meeting because I didn't like the way they were doing songs. They had syncopation in it, anapestic beat, and they were starting to use guitars and stuff. And I was concerned about that. And so I went to, I went to the, the, the pastors and had this meeting. My mom came along probably because she was a little concerned. What is my son doing? And so she came into the meeting, and I thought that I really won the argument. We sat around this table, and we talked for two or three hours about it. And I had my Bible open and all these notes that I had taken from this class of all their people who were ultra-rigid about music. And so I laid it out and told them how we didn't keep that kind of music out of the church and so on and so forth. And we got to the meeting and my mom and I walked back to the car and she said, I first asked her, I said, well, didn't you think that went great, mom? I thought I, you know, we really were able to communicate the truth. And she looked at me and she was very conservative with music at that point in time. She said, no. Everything that you said whether it was right or wrong, didn't mean anything because you were full of pride and arrogance and anger. And I looked at my mom and I just, what? What? I thought I had won the argument. Complaining is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Complaining saying I, I, what I like or dislike or what I don't want or what I want. Uh, God's not giving it to me. It's saying where your true trust resides in yourself rather than God. God changed my view on worship music. That's just one example. But what about you tonight? Is there something that you're saying, you know what, I, I'm kind of holding on to this style, preference, or maybe it's um, something that you just like or dislike, or maybe, maybe it's not a church thing. Maybe it's you're complaining about life in general because your job stinks and you tell everybody it stinks. Your coworkers who are unsaved, they hear that you think your job stinks. Or, or maybe you're going through a lot of suffering right now and you're complaining. You're complaining. You're saying, I, I don't really know if God is giving me what I need. I, I'm upset. I don't know if I trust God. Paul could have fallen into that trap there under house arrest. The mission kind of seems like it's halted or kind of on pause or in limbo. But he looked at the situation and he realized God is in control. Rejoice in all things. Rejoice with me. Share your joy with me. 
Because when you do, you're shining as a light into the darkness. That's what we need to do. Cancerous Christianity wreaks havoc on the church. I've seen it. You probably have seen it. Churches divide, discord, complaining, grumbling, and they become known for that kind of thing, and it destroys them. And their witness, that's the key. Their witness to the world is non-existent because all people hear about is the loud noise coming from their complaining. And that's not how we're going to be. That's not how we're going to be. We're going to rejoice in all things knowing that God is in control. I know that you're going to live that way. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your mercy and grace on us. Lord, we thank you for your word that, that shows us in our hearts, in our lives, how we're prone to, to not live like your son Jesus. We're prone to walk in unbelief, not complete trust in you. And we pray that tonight you would help us, oh God, to trust in you, realizing that you're in control of all things. Oh God, I I pray that you would help us to walk in unity and in love with one another, not complaining, not arguing, but holding forth the word of truth, the light into the dark of night for the sake of your glory and expansion of your kingdom here and around the world. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the matchless Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen.